not sure what that is. A little bit of noise. Hey, so good to be with you this uh, this morning. I had a little bit of a busy week. Uh, went out to Chicago this weekend. Uh, let me just share a little bit about what happened. My good friend that I grew up with in New Jersey, one of my two or three closest friends, uh, moved out to Chicago, began working at Trinity. He took a job in Chicago. We ended up sharing a townhouse together. He ended up dating and marrying a young woman, fantastic Christian young lady. I married a fantastic Christian young lady as well, Barbara. Uh, we lived just a few miles from each other. We began to grow our families together. Around the same time, we had our oldest daughter. He had his oldest son, Kyle. And I still have fond memories, vivid memories of our kids just crawling on the floor of our living rooms together and getting together a countless number of times. Kyle, and then they had two other children as well, but Kyle, the oldest one, grew up. He came to faith in Christ, went on numerous missions trips, Christian college, uh, was a journaler, uh, had beautiful things that he wrote in his journal about the Lord, his faith in Christ. But as he became older, he uh, struggled with handling some of the pressures of life like a healthy, emotional person would. And... Uh, fell into these seasons of depression. And um, a little while ago, I, we got a call from Doug, my good friend, saying that his oldest son had stepped in front of a train and took his own life. And he asked me if I would come and speak at the funeral, which was yesterday, and I said I'd be honored to. And uh, You know, I believe with all my heart that the moment he stepped in front of that train, he was welcomed into heaven by the Lord. What he did was wrong. What he did was against the will of God. But certainly God's grace can overcome our worst decisions. And that's exactly what happened with Kyle. And so I gave the gospel as best I could with the strength of God yesterday to over 500 people, many of whom were not believers, challenging them to come into faith in Christ, leading them in a prayer, and challenging them, if you made this decision today, let Kim and Doug know so that Kyle's uh, passing would bring added blessing to their life and, and they would know that something good has come out of it. And a number of people came to, to uh, Doug and Kim, my friends, and said they had prayed to receive Christ that day. But it's a hard situation, right? It's the battle of sin. You know, we talked about it when we talked about Adam and Eve, the struggle that they were in from the very beginning, a spiritual battle that's raging around us. We landed last night Right before midnight, we walked out of the terminal, and all of a sudden we heard, hey, hey, and there was Steve and Wendy Hickey uh, standing there. They're just getting back from Hawaii, and thank you, Wendy and Steve. You made it to the 8 a.m. service, even though you landed close to midnight like we did last night and got home about 1230 in the morning. But our hope is in the Lord. Amen, church? Our hope is in the Lord. And there are spiritual battles raging around us. We played this video at the service. And uh, it just is a video that's uh, moved me in the past. And I thought I'd start by just playing this video, that our hope is in the Lord. And it's a group called 10th Avenue North. When I was at my previous church, they came and did a concert at my church and had an opportunity to meet all these guys, and they are great guys. But let's uh, prepare our hearts by listening to this powerful song that we played yesterday at Kyle's funeral. As I walk this great unknown 
questions come and questions go Was there purpose for the pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? I don't want to live in fear I want to trust that you are near Trust your grace can be seen in both triumph and tragedy Sometimes my faith feels thin Like the night will never end Will you catch every tear Or will you just leave me here I have this hope In the depth of my Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the fact that in the flood and in the fire, you are with us. You will not let go. Lord, our hope is squarely in you, Lord. I pray for my friends, Doug and Kim and the family. Pray, God, that you would comfort them this morning. After all that happened yesterday, sometimes the next day is the hardest. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to you, that we would receive your word with joy this morning. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Last week we talked about uh, Adam and Eve and how uh, sin came into the world. Today I want to talk about this amazing hero by the name of Abel. You know the story probably a bit of Cain and Abel and how it wasn't soon after the Adam and Eve sin that this terrible event happened. An event where a brother turned and murdered his own brother in, in a jealous anger. And so if you... Uh, have your Bibles. I'd love for you to open them up to Genesis chapter 4. Today, really what I'm talking about is worship, a heart-driven act and lifestyle. And this is what we need to know today, my friends. It comes down to where your heart's at. Where is your heart at today? Where's my heart at today? You know, we can go to all the church services we want. We can sing all the worship services we want, but what God is looking for is a heart that's tuned in to His, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and have a life that's heart-driven, that you're serving the Lord out of love. The bottom line of our talk today is this. Abel was a hero because he offered a sacrifice that was motivated by his heart and mind, a sacrifice that was offered in true faith, which pleased God yet led to deadly anger from his brother. It was in the context of worship that the first murder occurred. In fact, when we look at this passage in Genesis chapter 4, it's the first act of recorded worship in the world. Genesis 4, if you have your Bibles, let's read it together. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. That's a euphemistic term in the Hebrew for had sexual relations with Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You know, Eve is a person that began to live her faith, hopefully in a stronger walk with the Lord, and even saw her son, Cain, as a gift from the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought also of the you can already begin to see his heart right here in the text. Uh, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, the best portions of the best of his flock. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? Hey, Cain, this is a mistake. But you can recover from this. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. But Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you in strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Abraham, I'm sorry, Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. We don't know exactly what that mark was. It's a mystery. 
lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Cain. See, again, this is a real story of real rebellion against God's will. We know it started in the Garden of Eden, but it continues. You would think that Cain would have seen the negative impact of sin and heard from his mother and father the need to follow the Lord, but that message did not find fertile soil in the heart and mind of Cain. And here's the first thing I think we need to remember. From the beginning, the heart of worship has always been more important than the act of worship. The heart of worship, my friends, is always more important than the act of worship. If we turn, Bob, keep your finger in Genesis chapter 4. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter is known as the Hall of Faith. And it lists all these wonderful people who made a decision by faith to follow God. And who's the first hero that's mentioned in this chapter? Let me begin with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. God knows that faith is about something that we have not seen yet, but we're convicted about it. It's this conviction that gives us an assurance that what God said He will do will come to pass. For by it, the people of old received their commandments. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Amen. God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And then proceeded to create 400 billion galaxies in the universe. So that what is seen was not made of, out of things that are visible. And here it is, our, our hero that we're talking about today. By faith, Abel offered uh, to God a more acceptable sacrifice. See, we know this. And I believe this is why Cain's offering was not accepted. It, it, it really didn't have to do with the substance of the sacrifice. Some people want to say, well, Abel offered an animal sacrifice, which was more acceptable to God than a grain sacrifice, which is what Cain offered. I believe it goes deeper than that. I believe Cain was going through the motions of worship. He was going through the motions. It says it here, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. See, Abel gave of the best of his crops, the firstborn, the fat portions, the best portions of that animal he gave to God, believing that God would continue to bless him with more. He offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, here's the key, he still speaks. See, Abel's offering of faith in God still speaks to us today. In what way? It speaks to us in this. From the beginning, the heart of a person is more important than the act of worship. We can come to church and sing all the beautiful songs that we want. We can open up the Word of God. We can live our days thinking about the Lord. But here's the key. It's all about our heart. It comes down to where our heart is today. A heart that can say, Lord, not perfectly, but with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I love you, Lord. And Lord, make my love more perfect each and every day. Grow me up. And I want to ask us today, as you live your life, as your life becomes a life of worship and dedication to the Lord, where's your heart at? 
When was the last time you had a time of prayer just talking to the Lord and lifting up your heart to the Lord because you love Him? When was the last time you opened up the Word of God out of love for the Word of God and for your relationship with God to feed your soul and to make you more like Jesus Christ? Where's your heart today? Prophet Malachi would come hundreds of years later. After the exile, after the return to Israel from Persia, and the nation would be rebuilding. But Malachi would say this, hey, close the doors of your temple. You're just going through the motions. God will not accept an offering from you because your hearts are far from the Lord. Don't go through the act of worship. If your heart isn't in it, if your heart's not there, I believe worship is this. It's our proper response of all that we are to all that God is. This awesome God that is far beyond anything we can comprehend. We can't put him in a box. We can't fully understand him. We can't try to contain him. He is greater than anything that we can ever imagine or think. And our proper response is to give all that we are from a heart of love and worship, to live our lives as an act of worship to God, so that our offering of our lives, like Paul, when he poured out, he said, his life on the, as a drink offering on the altar of faith, we, that we would be like that. That every day we live our lives as an act of worship. It's the right response, the proper response of all that we are, every part of us, not holding anything back. I'm not saying, Lord, you can have 80% of me, but this 20% is mine. No, it's all that I am. All that I am, every part of me. There's not one compartment of my life that's not under the control of the Holy Spirit. That ought to be our response, but we know what the battle is like. We know the battle is we want to be selfish and take a little bit back. We want to be selfish and do it our way because it feels so good to do it our way rather than God's way. Not realizing that it just takes us down a road of destruction. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said this about our worship. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, today, my friends, when you come to church like you did this morning, when we open up the Word, because it, it, the worship doesn't stop when we stop singing, right? It continues as we open up the Word of God. That's why there's a love for the Word of God here. Like it says in Hebrews 11, it was by the Word of God that the, cre the creation happened, the universe came into being by the very Word of God. That's why we love the Word of God here. We have faith that we are holding in our hands the book that God desires for us to have. He didn't fumble it when it came to giving us the Bible. The God that had the power to create the universe also has the power to give us a book that we can hold in our hands that contains the revelation of God that can lead us and guide us each and every day of our lives. But when Jesus said God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, what he was talking about here was a worship in spirit that is all about the condition of our heart. Not that we're perfect. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of a funeral like yesterday. That's, that's why we can call it a celebration of life. What Kyle did was wrong, but God's grace is greater than the worst of our sins. That the masterpiece of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins was enough to pay the price for every one of our sins. Even the ones we can't remember, past, present, and future, all covered by the blood of Christ. Some people think that suicide is an unforgivable sin. 
But that's not the case. The only unforgivable sin is to end your life in disbelief about Jesus. It's to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the sin that cannot be forgiven. Because you've not appropriated the amazing grace of God into your life that is offered freely as a gift to us. What's the condition of my heart today? What's the condition of your heart today? I get it, life is a struggle. I get it, life can be difficult. It can break your heart at times, like it did yesterday. But the condition of our heart is this. Lord, we trust you. We trust you in the midst of this fallen world that you are a God who holds us in your hands. Our hope is in you today. We have to worship in a way that reflects a heart that is in tune with God's. God looks directly past the outward experience, the outward appearance, and he looks right into our heart. That's the words of Samuel. When Saul came back in rebellion from the battlefield, disobeying the Lord, and Saul said, all these animals are for a sacrifice for God. Samuel said these powerful words, better to obey God than to sacrifice. Saul, don't go through the motions of worship if your heart isn't obedient to God. The Bible also tells us to worship in truth. I believe Abel did that. That very first act of worship in the Bible, he did it in spirit and in truth. He responded to all that he knew of God. Now, we know so much more than Abel did. We have the word of God, which he did not. But he responded to the God that he had experienced, and he worshiped him in spirit and in truth. So he talks about the content of our faith. And throughout God's word, God challenged people to respond to the revelation they had received. Respond by faith. Respond by faith to what you know about me. That's the challenge we have as well, right? The challenge to look out on a world and see a God that created, not a, a world that came here by some accidental, random process, but there was a God behind it all, that there was a plan from the very beginning that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent, and we believe it, and we banked our lives upon it, and our eternities upon it, and we long to have everyone on the planet know this amazing faith that we rejoice in every day. That's why we're here at Riverview. That's why we do everything we do. So, so people would come to know Christ. And it's not a balance, my friend. It's not a balance of, yeah, I'm going to try to keep it in the middle. A little bit of truth and a little bit of spirit and bring it all together. I'll try to be right in the middle of that truth and spirit thing. That's not how we interpret John 4.24. That's not how we ought to worship God. I believe that's not how Abel worshiped God. It's a 100% mix of spirit and truth coming together in a beautiful way. A hundred percent of my spirit connecting with God. A hundred percent of God's truth. And we all know that there are people out there who worship a God but don't have the truth. They worship a false God. They worship a false doctrine. And all the more we ought to take the truth of God to a lost and dying world and say, that is not the truth. And say it in love. Let's worship God in spirit and in truth knowing that our God is totally accessible to us. I was in Japan on a mission trip, and in the Buddhist faith, they walk into their temple and they clap. I asked the guide, why do they clap like that? Well, they want to make sure they're getting God's attention. They want to wake up the gods if they're sleeping. 
aren't you thankful we have a God that always gives us his full attention? As we lift up our hearts to him, he has given us his full attention. We're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And it doesn't mean that he always takes us away from all of our problems, but it does mean this, that in the joy and the problems, he can use them to make us more like Jesus, more like the person that we've dedicated our lives to. Like I told the Jewish couple I met at a party in our neighborhood a few weeks ago, we started to introduce ourselves, and I asked them what they did, and they finally asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor, and they said, oh, we're Jewish, and I said, oh, I've dedicated my life to following a Jewish man, and that person is, of course, Jesus Christ, and that began a whole conversation about me. I love how Eugene Peterson defines worship. He says this, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God, it whets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of. By engaging in worship. It deepens. It overflows the hour that we're together. And permeates the week. That what we do here today. Only begins the process of a life dedicated to worshiping God. Only begins the process of a life dedicated to being a light for God. See what keeps us from experiencing that I believe are two factors. Pride and doubt. A pride that says, I will not submit myself to God's way. I will not submit myself to the will of the Lord. Or a doubt that says, I'm struggling to believe it. And I want to tell you, my friends, the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you can overcome both and allow you to live a life of worship. Abel worshiped God. He did it faithfully. And it's amazing how quickly the worship service turned into a murder. The worship service turned into a battle that Cain could not overcome and become victorious in. See, I believe worship really has three components in our life. There's private worship, group worship, and a lifestyle of worship. That we're to be engaged in all three. We can't just say, oh man, I'm doing the group worship thing. I don't have to worry about the other two components. No, God wants all of us responding to who God is, every part of me responding to all that God is each and every day. When we think of a lifestyle of worship, I think of these things. I think of a, a, a person that in my life and in my family and in my work, I do it with integrity as an act to God. I give it my best as a sacrifice to God. I do life, family, and worship heartily as unto the Lord. I'm, I'm not serving my human bosses ultimately. I'm looking beyond them and serving the Lord and working as unto the Lord as an act of worship. It's a, doing life and family and work first and foremost as a light for Jesus Christ, as a testimony to others. That there's something different about the way you do work. I remember a good friend of mine was working at a company in and uh, he was offered a promotion, but he knew that promotion would take him on the road a lot. And it was a, a lot more money. It was a significant increase. And it would impact even his ability to be involved in his church. He said, Mel, I couldn't take the promotion. Even though it meant more money, I knew it would compromise my commitment to my family and my church. And I didn't want it, even though it would, it would satisfy us more than enough 
financially. I, I rejected the position. And all my friends at work were like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? That's so much more money. My faith in God, my family comes first. I'm not going to do it. The cost is too much. And we have times when we have to make those tough choices, amen, where we have to say, this will compromise my commitment to my, my God and my family and my testimony for Jesus Christ. I, I want to challenge us all to have a lifestyle of worship, that throughout the week we are worshiping God by the way we live. And we leave this place more motivated to live that way, deepened in our understanding of what it means to live a Christian life more engaged and energized to lift up Jesus Christ in everything that we do. When we think of private worship, I see it this way. A heart filled, filled up with thanks and praise to God. That you know exactly what Jesus did when he set you free. You know exactly what the cross did for you. It gave you an eternity that lasts far beyond this life. That all of us know that one day our lives will end on this planet. But we step immediately from this life to next, the next life, eternal life. And our hearts are filled with praise to this God who walks with us in this life every step of the way and never leaves us, never forsakes us. Nothing happens to us outside of his plan. Is it always easy? Absolutely not. But is God with us through it all? Absolutely. And our hearts are filled with praise in our hearts to him. In the way you do your quiet time, your personal devotions, in the, way, in the music you listen to as you worship God, a priority to allow God's word time in your day to meditate and ponder throughout the day on his amazing truths in his word, to fill your life with music that glorifies God and lifts him up. See, it's that whole filling your life with good things, with godly things. It will change you, my friends. It will change you from the inside out. When your private worship changes before God, when you can get on your knees in your bedroom and just pray about the things that are burdening your soul and give praise to God for the amazing blessings you've already received. Here's the third component. It's group worship. When we come together every Sunday, that we come preparing our hearts to praise God that we put away all distractions, that we come together with brothers and sisters who are here, and maybe some seekers, and seekers are always welcomed at Riverview Church. We're seeking to find God and come into a relationship with Him. But you come every Sunday prepared to worship God from your heart. You're not doing the perfunctory. You're not just going through the motions. But you're lifting up a heart that truly understands who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and all the promises that, has, that you have in store uh, for you in the life to come. We come with expectant hearts to meet God corporately. We enter in with our heart, soul, and mind. And we find joy in doing life together in community. We find joy as a church in all of us using our gifts and abilities, serving one another, and forming a community the world does not experience. That it's only through Christ we can be in a community where, yes, we disappoint each other. Yes, there are times of failure and sin. But there are brothers and sisters around us who want to lift us up and encourage us and get us back on track and are praying for us and are with us. And we find at Riverview Church a community of imperfect people being changed by a perfect God to make a difference in this world. 
This afternoon, I go to another funeral. And it's a funeral of a neighbor of ours. And the husband had a brain tumor. And we had shared Christ with his family. But they did not have their faith in Christ. They really wanted nothing to do with God. They said it in a nice way. But there's a lack of hope there. It's not the same feeling as the funeral we had yesterday. She didn't have a community like Riverview. Here at Riverview, when that happens, people rally around you. They pray for you. Like yesterday, my friends Doug and Kim experienced at their son's funeral. In a way, it was an amazing thing to see the church in action as more than 500 people rallied around this family that had lost their 27-year-old son. So that's what we find in church, not perfection, but we find a community that's dedicated to this, to glorify God in everything we do, to do it together. All the gifts and abilities on equal footing, the body of Christ coming together in a beautiful way, serving one another. That's what our group worship is all about. My prayer would be that here at Riverview, you would find a way in which God can challenge you to grow in your faith. That you would know that we as staff and we as elders and leaders of the church are, are growing in this process together with you. That our desire is to change the world for Christ. That leads me to the second point. It's this. From the beginning, our fallen emotions and desires are fertile ground for temptations to attack us. We read in the text exactly what happened. Now, in the beginning with Adam and Eve, it was Satan who aggressively attacked Eve and tempted Eve. In this situation, we find Cain's own desires battling against him. See, there are three sources of temptation. The devil, we saw that in the beginning with Adam and Eve. The thinking of this world and the values of this world are tempting us. But here's the other source of temptation, our own flesh and fallen desires. That's exactly what happens here. When God says sin is crouching at the door, Cain is in a battle against his own desires. He's jealously angered by what happened. He's angry with his brother, the Bible says. He's filled with anger against his brother. And his brother only did a good thing. The Bible says this in 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, that there are temptations around us that we need to be battling against each and every day. Note the progress of sin here. In the beginning, the serpent has to talk Eve into sin. In Genesis 4, here, God can't talk Cain out of sinning. God says, why are you angry? and Why is your face fallen? If, if you do well, you will, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. The, the, the text implies its desire is to destroy you. Cain, get it together. Enter into the battle. Fight against these desires and these negative emotions that you're feeling. See here, that, that phrase, it's the pictures of a lion waiting to pounce on Cain and destroy him. The passage is sad in that he killed his brother in the context of an act of worship. 
After rejecting God's warning of sin crouching at the door ready to destroy, then denying responsibility for it. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. A deceiver, a liar in God's face. And refusing to accept the punishment. Oh, it's too much for me. And the reality is this. Sin will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. It starts off so innocently. But it was at the moment where God convicted Cain, he should have stopped and not given in to his evil desires. Like what it says here in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Why? Because these negative emotions lead to greater and greater sin. More numerous sins in our lives. That's exactly what happened to Cain. Verse 25 talks about anger. But these words that are here highlight the outward acting out of ungodly uh, anger, uh, of clamor, of slander, all coming out of a heart of anger. The manifestations of anger. Verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. People have said to me, Well, Mel, there it says we can be angry. It can happen. It is an emotion that can motivate us to do the right thing. But so often our anger is not done in a godly way. That's why in five verses later, in verse 31, it says, Do away with all anger, wrath, and clamor. Why? Because angry... Being angry so easily leads us to more negative sin in our life. In fact, James 1, 19 through 20 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Exactly. Slow to anger. We need to get our anger under control. In fact, do away with it all. Be motivated to do the right thing by the Word of God and the principles of it. Have a righteous intensity about the sin in this world that's corrupting the lives of others and destroying the lives of others. Because so often our anger is a selfish anger, which is exactly what Cain suffered from. A selfish, jealous anger. You know, this verse is a marriage seminar in itself, isn't it? This would be a great verse to live your marriage according to. It says this, be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak. The implication is slow to judgment. Hear both sides. Be quick to hear from others. Be quick to learn from others. Be quick to gather the truth. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So often we rationalize our anger. We rationalize our out-of-control wrath and clamor and selfishness. But a heart of worship says this, God, I want you to control me. I want you to control my life. And as I face the problems in my life, here's some practical things you can do. Identify the temptation early. Realize, you know what, my anger is out of control. I have a problem with anger. My anger wants to destroy me. Identify the temptation early. Here's the next thing we need to do. See God at work in the trial. Whatever the trial is, whatever the problem is that's causing this anger response in your life, recognize God is at work. You're being tested. You're being tested by God. Not because God needs to find out where you're at, because I need to find out where I'm at. I need to find out where my weakness is at. I need to change. I need to get my life 
under God's control. Here's the third thing we need to do. Allow God to administer justice. This person wronged me. This person made me angry. I will leave it with God. I will continue to walk in a way that honors God. I'll continue to live out a lifestyle of worship. I'll not give in to the temptations of Satan and this world and my own desires. Sin is crouching at the door, ready to destroy. God is a much better justice maker than I am. I will trust him. Here's the fourth thing we ought to do. Return good for evil. The Bible says it again and again. Do not return evil for evil. Return good for evil. May the world see in you something that's radically different than the rest of the world that always seeks revenge. Return good for evil. Here's the fifth thing. Communicate to resolve and restore. If this is a pattern that continues in your relationship with this person that continually angers you, then seek to communicate and resolve the issue and make restoration. Now, I realize it takes two. That's why in the book of Romans it says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And sometimes you can't live at peace with you because they hate you for your stand for Christ, for your desire to live a godly life, for your desire to honor Jesus in everything that you do. You are hated for that. But as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then lastly this, rely on God's strength to control your anger in the future. My friends, we're called to live a life of worship. We're called to live a life of worship that changes the world. We're called to live a life of worship that changes the world and glorifies God. And the anger of man and all of these evil desires that are within us need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we can be the church that God has called us to be, a church that honors and glorify God, glorifies God, a church that has a community that the world does not experience and walks into these, this place and says this, these people have been changed, changed by the power of God. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer together. As your hearts are bowing today, I want to challenge all of us to be people of worship. Every moment of every day, not just on Sundays, in our relationship with our wife, our husband, our kids, our neighbors, our friends, in the community, that our lives will be an act of worship to God every moment of every day. That we would identify the sin quickly in our lives, that it's crouching to destroy us like a tiger ready to pounce. God, my prayer is that we would be worshipers like Abel that came with the best that he had because it reflected a heart of faith. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's what is inside of our hearts that defines the quality of our worship. Help us, God, each and every Sunday to come with hearts that are ready to worship you. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.
Amen. Amen. So good to have you here this morning. Hey, men, don't forget to sign up for the men's study. Women, don't forget to sign up for the study that starts this Tuesday at 9.30 and 6.30 at night. And live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio. Ushers are up front. I mean, uh, elders are up front to pray with you if you had any needs.